Well, first, let me say thank you to um, Pastor Wynn, uh, the men of Phillips Chapel, and particularly to uh, Brother Norman uh, for the invitation to come and share uh, share with you. I really appreciate this opportunity, and I don't take lightly uh, when folks ask to to see what you're thinking and to share thoughts and uh, your ideas, because the words that we use help build the world around us. And and from um, they talked about my my background in Afrocentered thought and philosophy and. This is idea of, of something called nomo, that the words that you use and the words that you speak actually create the universe and the world that you live in. And at some point, those words will return back to the person that created them. So when we say that you ought to be careful about the things that you speak, uh, uh, the Bible talks about what well, life it's in the tongue, right? Uh, life and death is in the tongue. That, that is that concept that the words that you speak, as much as we like to say, I'm sorry, we like to take them back. But once they're out there, they will create the world that you have to live in. And they will always return back to the person that created them. So, again, I, I take this, these opportunities seriously when, when somebody asks uh, would you mind sharing? So, again, thank you for this opportunity. Um, I'm not a theologian, and so anytime that folks tell me, ask me to come something out the Bible or something like that, I always preface it. I'm not a theologian, so you got some strong folks up here who made it their life to, to study and, 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 and receive the call, and so I'm going to ask them to, if I say something wrong, Tell me I'm lying and correct me. <laughs> but however, I like to think that as a scholar, I'm careful with the words that I use. I'm now she's going to get nervous, like, oh, what are you going to say? But as a scholar, I, I, you, you know, you know, you, I say you learn to stay in your lanes, right? Uh, and while I, I, I don't pretend to think that I, I have the calling to preach. I am a scholar, and I do believe in speaking the truth. That's that I understand it. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's what I intend to do. And so with this, uh, the theme that you have here is Matthew 419. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Three things came to me, and I'm, I'm going to say these three things, and I'll sit down and, and, and be relatively short. First is this idea that to encounter Jesus is to receive a charge. That I think the Bible is replete with, with stories of when people encounter God, they walk away with something to do. I think it is a defining and significant idea of a person's adulthood is that they have a sense of mission 
and a sense of purpose. And I think it is impossible for someone to encounter God and then walk away wondering what to do. That if that is your case, then you have to kind of question, well, what kind of encounter did you have? That's good, that's good. Mm-hmm. That if you tell me that you're saved, you tell me that you know God, you tell me you know Jesus, then you ought to be able to tell me, well, here's what I'm about to do. Here's, here's my mission. Here's the charge that I have. may not be complete, may not have a full understanding of it, but you should have some sense of this is what I'm on earth to do. And if you're unclear about that, then you ought to be steady trying to get that figured out. Because I think in my experience has been, that every time that I've had a come to Jesus moment, I've gotten clarity. Some of those are first understandings of God that we encounter, that we ought to reverence God by saying prayer before we eat. Some of those first encounters of God that we have, that we get a sense of we are not here of our own selfish thing that that Encountering God tells me that I have a mission, I have a purpose, and I have a value. And therefore, then, as I move forward, I should judge my life and question others based upon what God has charged me to do. I think that speaks so much to what too many people, particularly young people, we like to pick on the young people, but that's enough. we'll get to that. <laughs> but too many people are unclear about what it is that God has charged them to do. But at the end of the day, my first point is that to encounter Jesus is to receive a charge. If you are one who claims to have known Jesus to know Jesus, to have had an experience in which Jesus has come into your life, that you have to have a charge. And that charge should ultimately bear fruit. So have a charge, have a sense of purpose, have a a clear understanding of who you are, to whom you are accountable, and what you should be preparing your life to do. Secondly, our charge tends to be aligned with our history. Again, you look at the the stories. You look at the, the encounters where folks have come to encounter the Lord. their mission tends to be in line with who they were. Now, God has a way of making stumbling blocks, stepping stones. He has a way of transforming your life in a way that the things that once held you are now the things that bless you. But you are not separated from your history. And to come out of Matthew particularly, Matthew is, gives the genealogy of, of Jesus. And so Matthew was connecting, here is this figure All right. that comes into history, not isolated, not just divine, but 
connected to us through this genealogy. One of the reasons why I'm such an advocate for understanding African-American history and African-centered thought and philosophy, things that are rooted within our cultural traditions, is because my experience tells me that God doesn't do things by accident. And how you begin to look at your own history and understand your history will give you some sense of, one, your mission, but the tools that are available to you to accomplish those things. So, you run down the list. We start with Moses. Found, raised in, the, in the, the house of Pharaoh. Was an administrator. Learned man. Taught to be a leader. And then when he encountered God, God called him to do what? To go and minister. To be a leader. How could he do all those things if he had not been prepared for it? Mr. Kaysen talks in my introduction talked about my connection to rites of passage particularly, African-centered rites of passage. It is this notion that we are all involved in this process of human development that has four basic stages. Preparation, separation, transition, and reincorporation. And when you look at human history, you look at the human struggle, you look at any significant movement, any significant activity towards human development, it is best when it takes into account those four things. So let's look at Moses again. His preparation was the growing up in Pharaoh's house. It was this, this time in which he was taught administrative activity. He was taught how to lead people, how to govern, how to do those kinds of things that would be required of him. His separation, going out into the desert. His transition, going up on Mount Sinai. But out in the desert, he had to, the, the part of the separation is you have to prove yourself to your elders. All right. You have to go before your elders and, and they will give the yay or nay. They will give you the, the sense of of, of standard by which you had to live up. So when he went out into the desert, he didn't just get out there by himself. He came into a community. And he encountered a, a man who had held him up to a standard, who had him to practice patience, discipline, and ultimately got to a point where God has said to him, okay, now it's time for you to encounter me in a way that's going to be transformative. So he had that transition. But then the important thing after the transition is that you get reincorporated. You come back into your community. And the things that you've learned, the things that you've done, the things that, 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 has, that you have gained as a skill that you put into service for the for the people and the, and the families and the, the community that you've come from. That's rites of passage. 
And so when we think about then our charge, our charge always tends to be aligned with our history. And that's why we have to be very careful about who defines our history, who tells our story, who is the person that determines for us the values by which we live. That's critical. There's an African proverb that says that until lions tell their own stories, the hunters will always be the hero. We have to be clear about who we are and not how we are defined by other people. And if you give me this moment of talking about when I was young, how music was music that each generation tends to do. <laughs> but there's a, there's a very interesting correlation here. When I was at high school, <laughs> not only did I, I go to high school with, with Tracy, we, we actually went to kindergarten together. <laughs> but, you know, though, it was like, we like to talk with, pick with the young people, and we talk about this hip-hop and rap and all that kind of stuff. When it was coming out, when it was out, the primary consumers of that was black youth, black teenagers. And you had the gamut of, of the kind of music that you could hear. But you, also, but you had the full black experience, if you will, the full experience. You had, you know, you had some outlandish folks, but you also had folks like Public Enemy and, and Tribe Called Quest and, and people who spoke to, the, to what was going on in, in the community and, and, and challenged people's perceptions of power and privilege and, and, that, and that kind of stuff was played on the radio. It was, it, was, it was not unheard of to hear a Deaf Jeff or, again, Public Enemy or a group called X-Clan or... Um, uh, there was, you said, I'm going back. You, but it was, it was you, would, you would hear that kind of music. You would, it would, uh, 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 KRS One. Um, you, could, you could hear all those kinds of music that spoke not only to the, the party, the hip hop, the, the whatever, but also challenge your thinking about look at this situation. What's going on here? How is it that you're playing this role? Fast forward to today. The people that consume rap, 70-80% white, suburban, males, prim males primarily, but now the question becomes, my analogy is that if Coca-Cola realized next week that 80 to 70 percent of the people that consume Coca-Cola prefer grape flavor. What kind of pop will they come out with next week? Grape flavor. All right. If 80 percent, 80, 70, 80 percent of your people consume rap or white urban, white suburban teenagers, 
All the messages that you hear. For the sake of being in the church, I won't repeat some of those words, but you know what I'm saying. All those messages that you hear gives you an indication. What's the I dare you to try to find somebody like even Common being played on the radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. On, a, on a regular robot. That's somehow or another, that's authentic, you know, some kind of alternative, not mainstream. As gifted as he is. And how he tends to speak to the condition of what's going on in our community. But that's not considered to be mainstream now. He would have gotten played when we were the primary consumers of that art form. You understand what I'm saying? Why is it important for us to be the originators and the authenticators of our experiences because when we see ourselves through somebody else's lens, we tend to have a distorted understanding of our reality and our charge and what we are supposed to be doing. So we have to be protectors of who we are. We have to remind ourselves of our lineage so that we can be clear about the tools that we have available to us to make the difference in this world that God has called us to do. We have to be clear with that. We have to be careful with that. We have to be protectors of that. And that's, I, that's, a, that's a soapbox I can get on all day. But, 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 but we have to, that's, that's important. It's really important. We're one of the few communities that is so cavaliering about how we are presented and projected in media. I just recently see this thing with, this is my last one, I'll, I'll get off of this, but this recently saw this thing with, with Michael Jackson. And he had this, this, uh, this, uh, this uh, song, um, Am I Black or White? And he was challenging the ideas of our perceptions and, and that kind of thing. And he had just recently signed a $1 billion contract with Sony. You would think somebody who signs $1 billion contract would have some pull, some clout, right? But he had this, this line in this song. Um, am I black, am I white, am I Jew, am I kike? And something, you went on, no. And the Jewish community were like, ah, oh, no, 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 uh-uh, nah. We're not releasing that. They pulled the record. They were like, oops, I'm sorry. Re, recut the, the song mm-hmm. for distribution without the word kite in it because it was offensive mm-hmm. to Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Just, just, he just said it, he wasn't my kite, my, he wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't a whole song named and yet, yeah. we make heroes and heroines, role models of folks who would offend our community. It just doesn't make sense. 
We have to be clear about who we are mm -hmm. and to whom we are accountable and understanding our lineage and our legacy. There's more men, black men, in this room that's going to be arrested in Akron this weekend, very likely. But if you ask the average person out there, what is the image of black men? It's not a bunch of men coming to church. But yet the truth of the matter is, we're here. And the question becomes, why isn't this the image of the black man? And why is it that we're so willing to live with the lie? So we have to be clear about our history. We have to be clear about our history. We have to be clear with our history. There's a scholar who says that we should never teach our children, never teach our children that our history begins with slavery. Slavery was something that we went through, not something that we came from. And that's a whole other discussion there, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. Lastly, though, my last little thing, my last little thing, my last little thing, and I'm going to sit down. My last little thing, I'll sit down. Ultimately, to encounter Jesus is to receive a charge. And that charge tends to be aligned with our history. But ultimately, our charge is to bring others to truth. Amen. 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 Is to bring others to truth. Yes. And there is nothing more that this world needs right now. There's a good dose of truth. Amen. There's nothing more than our community needs right now. There is a good dose of truth. I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong. Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. So when we talk about bringing to the world the truth, it is a, a clearer understanding of who we say that we are. What is the truth of the matter? Our humanity and our divine alignment with God. That God so was concerned about humans. I believe there's a there's a there's a passage that's talking about what what manner why would you be so concerned about you made this a little bit lower than the angels that you would that you would be so that you would come visit him you would be concerned that you would chase after him you would why is it that we have a clearer understanding of our truth as humans being aligned in the image of God I think it interesting that you you have this. The celebration, you asked me to talk on the, on the 50th anniversary of Selma. We give him, I do, you know, things line up as they do, but what was the whole movement about? America, you, you have this promise, you have this mm -hmm. idea, you have mm -hmm. this thing that you said is the truth about yes, yes, yes. each person being treated equally. That, we are endowed by a creator by, with these certain inalienable rights. And when we come to borrow a phrase to the bank of justice, we got this bad check. 
And how are you, as a society, going to be the truth that you say that you are? I think when we look at our history and project where we're going to go forward, this world is going to have a real interesting challenge over the next few years, dealing with the very definition of what it means to be human. There are all kind of, frankly, spooky, uncanny kind of things that will challenge the very nature, the very idea of what it means to be human. And I'm firmly convinced that it is people like us whose humanity has been challenged, denied, that we've had to fight for being human, that will be the people who will lead this world to a clearer understanding of humanity. The thing that we must preserve if we are going to continue to exist. Just a couple of things just to spook you on. Lack of a better word. Last year it was announced that scientists had added two more proteins to do it to, to the DNA sequence. Okay? Now, that means that all the DNA, DNA, basically four proteins. Four proteins. All the all the all the living stuff on Earth, four proteins. Four proteins get you the earthworm, four proteins get you the blue whale, four proteins get you us. Four proteins get you a blade of grass, four proteins get you the, the redwood forest, four proteins get you the moss, the fungus, the tomato, the, the apple, carrots, whatever you want, four proteins. Everything you see that's living on earth, four proteins. We decided add two more. See what happens. <laughs> now, and the announcement was, if we can add these two, which they call X and Y, if we can do these, these two, there's 128 other ones we can try. Really? The creator saw fit four proteins. Create all this. Four, four proteins. All this. That's all he needed. That's all he did. That's all he saw fit to do. Four proteins. Here we come. Let's try two more. Oh, we can do these? That's 128 more we can try. Really? What does that mean? We've already created. We've already created stuff that that will reproduce, that has a genome sequence that has never been in, 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 in it's not like, the, you know, they got stuff where they do stuff like, we're going to make this rabbit glow in the dark, so we're going to put jellyfish protein into the rabbit, and so now it glows in the dark. We've done that kind of stuff, right? But, it, but, that's, but that's still stuff that existed in nature that we just put it where it doesn't supposed to be or it hasn't been before, but it was still in nature. 
But we're at a point where we've already now, we humans, are creating things that are splitting, reproducing, that has a genome sequence that never existed in on Earth before. We didn't take it from someplace, we just created our own. Somebody needs to be at the table having a discussion. Really? Should we be doing down this road? There's a gentleman in, in England who has implanted a, a chip in his brain, who has connected his brain to the computer and trying to transfer stuff between him and the, and the computer. We already have a place where that I could, I could go to a place and through electrodes they connect to my brain, control an arm that is on the other side of the world. We're doing that now. That's, that's done. That's done. The Pentagon has asked the president, and when, when, the, when Obama did his last uh, State of the Union speech, he talked about this idea of technology, centers, technology, ethics kind of things. Because they're, they're asking for permission to deploy. So not to develop, not to, let's think about doing this. They're asking permission to deploy. So we've already done it. We, the technology is there already. Autonomous drones, both on, in air and on land. Okay? Now, autonomous means the drone, the robot, makes a decision without some other human saying yes or no. It will identify, you're good, you're bad, I keep you, I kill you. On its own. They're asking for permission to deploy that. Not to develop it. Not to see, well, will this thing work? They're asking to deploy that. All right, so, so at some point, you would think, people who are committed to the idea of the love of God, somebody who is connected to a history that says, I know what my humanity is worth because I had to fight for it. Could speak to where are we going? Do you understand if we lose your humanity, if you if you devalue this thing, what the price can be? Because we know what that is. I believe ultimately again, our charge is to bring people to truth. A truth that is rooted in a strong understanding of who you are and how God has interacted with your life and a purpose that brings people to meet Jesus and to meet the love of God and to meet an understanding of how God values us so that we might value one another Amen. in truth. Amen. Amen. And judge our actions based upon does it bring us closer, does it maintain our humanity, and does it ultimately give you a sense of who you are
that you are secure in knowing that you are loved by God. That you are secure in knowing that the God that I know, the God that has formed me is the God of this universe and that has ordered my steps in such a fashion that I need not be afraid. That I can rest secure in knowing and see in you, God, that I know that you are my brother, you are my sister, that we must take care of one another and guard against anything that will hinder that. Amen. So I hope those are just my three thoughts that came to me. And, and so as you go out and, and, and encounter others, as you bring to be fishers of men, that you do so understanding that your encounter with Jesus gives you a charge. That that charge ultimately use what you, what you know, the, the things that you've experienced. Share your testimony. Because God has called you to share that and to use that. And ultimately, again, to charge people to, to bring them to truth and to protect that truth and to know that we are loved and we are precious in God's sight. Thank you. Thank you.